two movies, three rounds, one winner. Welcome to the Movie Battle Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Movie Battle Podcast. Uh, I'm joined again by... Eamon. And I'm Liam. And last week we had a kind of an all, all-out all 80s affair, which was pretty one-sided, actually. It um, was. Did you, did you envision that it would be that one-sided going into it? I didn't. I mean, I knew what I thought. Well, I suppose I did, because I, I knew <laughs> that Terminator was one of your favorite movies, and Robocop is a movie that you like, but not one of your all-time, like, you know, top ten favorite movies of all time. So, and maybe I was surprised that I was more one-sided, because I really did enjoy Robocop more than I had thought I would. Certainly, you know, based on my presumptions previously, um, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um but I do think Terminator is a better film all around. Mm, so, yeah, I think we kind of we kind yeah, of hinted on last we week it. how we how um we kind of felt like it was Robocop is a film that we think that going forward against a lot of other films we might do it would win. So even though it it lost, yeah, it was a tough. It could have been a winner in another day. Uh, but look, that that was last week. Um, that was the eighties, and this week we're actually going jumping a bit further back in time. Because we're going to have King Kong, the original from 1933. Uh, it was directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodzak. I'm not sure <laughs> if I pronounced that properly, but I think he, he did like the stuff with the creatures. He did all of the special effects work as far as I can um, think, I remember. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, all the rest was um, covering the live actors, you know. the Marion C. Cooper was on that side, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's King Kong 1933 against Godzilla from 1954, which was directed by Ishiro Honda. Um, again, it kind of felt like they made sense to go up against each other, you know, kind of. Yeah, a bit like... I mean, it's almost like a carryover from last week when I was saying I made I mentioned the fact that the idea for it came from the school ground debate who would win t800 or robocop and this is very much one i'd say kids have been doing since the 50s since when godzilla came out who would win king kong and godzilla um i don't think we're going to go into the who would win a physical battle like we did last week in the super secret round <laughs> um it may not have... <laughs> yeah you threw that on me i wasn't expecting that um so it will just be three rounds this week um but uh yeah I, i'm really excited about it yeah because I, I i think king kong i hadn't seen in maybe maybe 15 years and with godzilla i had never seen it never seen the original i've seen the 98 version but never the original so i'm actually really curious to see uh like your thoughts kind of on it and like how it goes because i really don't know what way this one's going to go at all you know? yeah no i'm the same um like I, I saw king kong i think as a child all the way through but i've never seen it all the way through as an adult um, I certainly have never watched it and uh, enjoyed it as much as I did this one. Um, Godzilla, I, like you, I had never seen before. I'd seen bits of other ones. I, I mean, I, I saw the 90s one. Um, 
you know the the the, the Hollywood nineties one. I, I remember the animated show Godzilla and Godzuki, <laughs> but I never uh, saw the original Japanese film that started it all. And uh, yeah, we're we gonna talk about it. it. So round one, music. Do you want to start off for? Okay, well, King Kong, we always go chronologically. So, King Kong, um, it was composed by Max Steiner. Um, now, listening to it, well, first of all, we started off with the overture, which I thought was a nice addition. I, I think you had mentioned that it, they have the overture in Ben-Hur as well. Yeah, they do. Okay, so obviously that's a thing they used to do. In they cinema. even had an interlude for with Ben-Hur. Mm. They have a like five-minute interlude right. in the middle of it. That was well. obviously for bathroom breaks and that type of thing. Yeah, but like um, on, on the Blu-ray, they have... A, yeah. My Blu-ray copy of it is cool that they keep that in there. So you yeah. really feel like it's... No, cool. yeah, I do like it. Because the, the version that we watched was the Criterion Collection. And um, they, they're, they're sticklers for the original experience. You know, warts and all. Not that I'm saying that the overture was warts, but you know what I mean. Like It was just... The original experience people had when they sat into the cinema in '33, they tried to replicate that as much as possible, and it's very much appreciated by nerds like us. <laughs> um, so I, I I enjoyed the overture. I mean, I I am afterwards discussing it. Afterwards, you were saying that you know overtures are kind of were a thing. I I've seen films from the '30s and '40s, and I don't remember seeing one before. So it took me by surprise. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was an interesting kind of concept. Um. Because, like, you know, when you go to the cinema now, they just kind of play random music. Or it might just be... Some good cinemas will play, like, soundtracks, which is always good. But a lot of cinemas just play, like, crappy radio or something. Mm. And it doesn't add to it. This this builds. You know, it focuses your mind. It sets the scene. Um, it's prepping you, basically. Mm, it's like yeah. a trailer for the movie, but just audibly. Um, so I really like that. Um it's also good for um getting ready your notes if you you know <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> finding your pen yeah um but as we go further on into it then when we start getting into the kind of integrity of of the score like the score has that what i would describe that classical hollywood sound mm. like what i think of when i think of a kind of golden age of hollywood uh score yeah um but in my research, I learned that this was the first ever full score ever written solely for a film. Before this, every other score was taken from pre-recorded classical music I and just overlaid. Yeah, so this is the first time a score was ever written for um for a movie, which I thought was fascinating. Um, it also like introduced loads of different concepts. You know, having like um you know, character uh, traits like lay motifs where you just, you play a certain sharp piece of music to kind of accentuate a character or or, or, or a moment, you know, a scene mm-hmm. that basically every film since uses. Yeah. This is the first film to do that. Yeah, because it's actually, in fact, now that you said that it was the first film to have its own original score, because I guess that's why when I was watching it, I kind of felt like it, it was fine. It did the job, but it wasn't anything that stood out remarkably to me, but that's probably because I heard it in a lot of other films from around or close to that era. So yeah. Maybe that was kind of yeah unfortunate I, for, you know, watching it now because I've seen a lot of other films of that time that kind of had similar music. So as I said, it was fine, but it didn't like 
as I said, it didn't seem remarkable to me in any way, for the most part. I thought I actually thought the opening music was interesting, though, because it kind of it touched it kind of um, moved between different kind of uh, tones, kind of like it had a bit of a mystery there, a bit of sadness, a bit of intrigue, kind of encapsulated a bit of everything that would happen in the film mm. in the opening piece. Mm. But I thought as you got into the middle of it and especially when, the, when they're on the island and the chase scenes and that, it felt kind of generic to me. Like, it, it, fine, like it worked, but it wasn't anything spectacular. That's kind of how I... Yeah, I, you know. I, 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 you know, I know exactly what you're saying and to be honest, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, this is definitely... I mean, I, I mentioned it um, before um, in week one with Christopher Nolan uh, or with Hans Zimmer and the score for The Dark Knight and how since then that type of score has been used and overused and it's become a little cliche. This is like that, but times a thousand. You know, when you're the first movie to utilize a new style um, in, in 33 and now nearly a hundred years later of films, it's going to be ripped off over and over and over again to the point where it's now cliche. Um, so it, I think it is a victim of its own success. Like, you know, I, I like you. I thought mm, this sounds very generic, um, but it's very generic because it was so good when it came out. But but like we established previously in previous weeks, we can only judge it based on our own experience. We can comment and appreciate its historical significance and innovation. Um, but if it doesn't grab you, you, you can't pretend it does. Um, the honest, like, there were moments where I was grabbed, and I, I, in particular, I really liked the um, the drums when they first yeah, when pull arriving. up to the island. Yeah. It's quite eerie, and and what I, one thing I really liked that this film does is it combines the the act, the, the sound, the folio, the sounds that's going on in the film, so the drums that are doing the chants that the tribe have, with the score intertwined. And it layers it really well and it sets a mood, you know, especially with that mist as they roll up to Skull Island. It really kind of sets the mood that there's something epic and scary about to happen. Yeah, I, I'd agree about, um, I had that written myself actually, about the, as they're approaching the island, that the kind of drum effect in it kind of adds an extra kind of mystique about Kong himself, kind of, you know. Mm. Do they actually refer to it as Skull Island in the film? I can't remember that. I don't know. Um, you could be right. They probably don't. It's one of those again because the character is so has been going for so long, and there's been so many iterations of it. Skull Island may not have been using it, and I've heard it picked it up from some other film or some other cartoon or or book or something. But um, yeah, actually that's a great point. But I, I'm not sure if you ever actually refer to it as Skull Island. There was actually a nice moment as well, uh, interesting moment as well. Uh, like so, towards at the end of the film when when he falls off the Empire State Building, mm. obviously he's dead. But like, for all the mayhem he caused and stuff, it, it's music of sadness. You know, there's mm. a bittersweet kind of nature to it. Like, compare that to, say, the end of Jaws, for example, where you want Chief Brody to kill the shark. Does that kind of, they kind of angle it so that there's sympathy for, for Kong yeah. as well. And that was kind of interesting, even though he's done all these really horrible things. Um you know, kill yeah. people and destroy 
you know trains and buildings mm. and stuff you know yeah no i think i think yeah you're right there i, I do I, I, there's more i want to say about that but i think we'll get to it later in um the action or maybe in characters i'm not sure mm-hmm. um but i definitely i, I want to come back to that point but it, for me it's more kind of it's less i mean the music i feel informs that but there's something about that i would kind of go on to get into more about about kong and his motives um there's a couple other things i really did like though i mean i liked um when this you know when he has Anne in the cave and the kind of snake like lizard creature yeah. comes out and it has this kind of slithery <laughs> music plays and i really like the fact that they you know they they, they um customized each little piece for each uh, you know action um arc you know for each little uh, scene you know different different creatures had different kind of music and especially the the snake like one stood out to me and i enjoyed that the other one was I, I i did like the kind of plodding rising tension as he climbed the empire state building um i thought the music kind of built well to that kind of um crescendo yeah no that was that, that was a cool effect as well i i, I actually didn't pick up on it as much just but now that you mentioned it it kind of came back to me kind of i hadn't yeah. noted it but yeah um but um yeah uh, will we move on to Godzilla yeah and see anything else that I, I feel like else. that kind yeah. of sums up I mean yeah. you know it, it very much is a victim of its of its success I think that that's clearly the case um when you do something so well that everybody rips you off you know people get bored of what they hear all the time yeah I just again just to reiterate, reiterate though that like um. It was. It wasn't bad. I didn't think no, the soundtrack was no, bad. I just. No, it just felt. It generic. worked with it. It just. It, it just felt. I mean, yeah. it worked really well. Yeah. And and isolated. I've listened to the score, uh, separately. Although the only one I could find had the, uh, had the audio actually of the characters and action going on as well, which actually was quite interesting. And I was. I used to listen. I listened to it while I was writing or or, or doing other stuff. Um, and it was a fun way of getting back into the film and remembering and analyzing it. Um, you want to move on to Godzilla? Yeah. Okay. So, um, Godzilla. Well, the score was composed by Akira Ifukube. Ugh. God. Like, every every week we have a composer's name. We're just like, oh. It's going to be even some of the actors uh, or characters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Forgive us, this. please. Uh, you know, if we mispronounce any names, it is not uh, intentional. Um. Okay. So for me. The score grabbed me straight away. Um, like it starts off like Godzilla's theme. This is kind of somber, slow music, which again kind of surprised me. Um, th- this movie really surprised me, and like in every round, I'm like, "Whoa, okay, that's not what I was expecting." Um, and the music is one definitely. It's the, you know Godzilla's theme is like somber, but then it's kind of like a driving, thumping, you know, drum going. Drums feature a lot, but uh, I mean this movie in King Kong, um, but uh, yeah, this once I heard that I was like, okay, I'm in. You got me. I loved how in the so the opening music how they accompanied it with the kind of loud thundering shrieks of Godzilla. Yes, it was like yeah, instantly I w- you were just. I wasn't going to mention that because I felt like it was. I'm not sure if you count that as music or not. But it was accompanied with the music. Yes, it, so. you know, it, it was definitely yeah. part of the score. You're right, and that shriek again. I might go into that later. I don't know, but I was just touching on that yeah, in the opening. Yeah, I was yeah, just touching on that. Yeah, that that yeah. I think was really a I, powerful yeah. way of helping to open the film. Yes, yeah, I totally agree. Um, uh, with regards to the main theme, though, I 
it's in my head like all week. <laughs> I just keep humming it. It has a kind of like this really grandeur about it, kind yeah. of a little bit like the Robocop theme. Mm-hmm. But then it's like kind of has that high stakes kind of riding effect to it as well. And it's really kind of, you know, just kind of this, this like it's coming to a head kind of, you know, this big situation is coming to a head. But, yeah. you know, it just, it's a really, really cool uh, main theme to the film that I thought was really, really great. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. It, it's been in my head as well. <laughs> um, it's stuck in there. Um, so as we kind of move on further in, because there's a lot of the kind of different kind of moments, it's kind of like very <laughs> distinctive parts of music in this film. Um, like one of them uh, that I didn't like, I didn't like as much, it just it was so different, was the, uh, the kind of the naval march. That they play this kind of upbeat kind of march. They play as the as the naval ships go out to try and bomb Godzilla for the first time. And yeah, it didn't all, kind of match. It felt yeah. very like, oh, hey, we're all going on an adventure, yeah. almost Goonies esque or something. Um, even though obviously it was very, very actually, you know, traditionally military in its sound, and it, it very much captured that. But it it didn't feel the weight of the situation wasn't captured. Like by tonally, it, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah, right, no, yeah. maybe I thought uh, maybe it's that they're ill prepared. But so, there was even scenes like that, some of that they cut in that kind of just it didn't seem kind of flow naturally. There was a couple of these quick scenes that kind of just it felt abrupt, like with the music. Just yeah, in general as well, there was a couple of this couple of short scenes when they might be going into people going into trying uh, at sea when they were trying to destroy him. I think there was a couple of scenes I thought that. Oh uh, yeah, see that was stock footage. Yeah, see they didn't get the support of the of the. Um... Official Navy said they had to just use stock footage from World War Two. That's why it, it kind of looks a little, um, maybe slightly erratic because they, they didn't direct that. You know, it was just you can only use what you got. That's mm. it. So yeah, um, that's fair enough. But maybe that's more action or you know. yeah. I just was touching yeah. that because with the, there was the yeah. music that were a bit um, a bit more. But I have to go on then to the music after Godzilla. Destroys Tokyo. That music, as that pan across the city, the destroyed, the destroyed city of Tokyo, with that music, is absolutely haunting. Um, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Well, up until that moment, I thought I was what. Well, my preconceptions before going in was this is a B movie schlock. Um. Along the lines of um, the blob or something. You know, giant monster goes crazy in a city, blah, 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 blah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard that music, I woke up and I was like, oh, whoa, this is not, this is different. This is, that music is amazing. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I would agree. I think the film very much surprised me I think I'll get into it a bit more when we get to yeah, the characters yes, yeah. uh, but I agree um, as a film it definitely wasn't what I anticipated no uh, very much surprised no, me and like, this, but just even just from a score perspective that is not what I was expecting and then we go into the Oxygen Destroyer music which is quite crazy that kind of weird screechy sound which, like, which you, it's when we go to um, Sarazawa's um, lab oh, and that, Kenny's yeah. talking about the, the oxygen destroyer or I can't remember I think it's when he shows it to Imiko for the first time as well maybe or then afterwards but it's 
because I've listened to the soundtrack a lot since we uh since we watched it pretty much every day, um, and the Octon Destroyer it kind of has a kind of cycle quality to it, mm-hmm. um, which and this is what six seven years before cycle what cycle sixty four so six years yeah cycle six was years 60. sixty wasn't it yeah so six years, um, yeah but also a weight to it kind of you know kind of the suggesting kind of what it's capable of doing. I thought the song uh, oh, that's with, just the, with the girls, yeah. the school girls, I thought was amazing, especially with the scene we had just seen. Yeah. And then to follow with that, I thought that was amazing. I mean, just, it was perfect. That, 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 that is my favorite piece of the, uh, this, of the music, mu- music in this film. Um, the perfect piece it literally has been stuck. I've listened to it, I'm not joking, about 40 times since you watched the film. I, I've played it on loop four or five times several days um, like it really 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 impacted me I was saying earlier that the scene with Tokyo was like oh my god that piece of music and part of it part of why it hit me so much I mean obviously besides the fact that it's amazing and besides the fact that it, this is in a film that was released you know less than a decade after the the uh, Hiroshima and and, and um, uh, the bomb and Nagasaki um is oh, I was over in Miami uh, a few years ago and I went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum. It's not a museum, it's more um, this giant sculpture. Anyway, part of the, the piece is uh, when you walk into the inside area and you can see all the names of all the people who died during World War II in um, the concentration camps. As you're walking in, there's this little tunnel and there's this um, song playing and it's these children singing this like really sad song in this echoey hallway. And like it read, I mean, just so powerful. And it, it very much reminded me, took me straight back to that. And I felt the weight of a people, you know, like I can't imagine what Japan was like after those bombs were dropped. Mm. Um but I really felt like I, I kind of came close or closer to understanding what the effect it had on the country. Um, it was stunning, stunning music and stunning singing. It was. I guess it's said <laughs> that was your favorite uh, yeah. aspect of the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. It blew me away. The, actually, the moment that surprised me the most um, in terms of the music was the final scene where um, so Serizawa and Ogata they descended into the water to mm. destroy Godzilla and what was interesting was that the music so this is like the final battle per se yeah. was the music was very solemn and bittersweet yeah. and it actually reminded me a bit of the music here in the Truman Show uh, just, it was a really nice kind of uh, gentle quality about it but was in, uh, the other interesting thing is that like to me, that scene is not about destroying Godzilla. It's about Sirizawa and what he's doing, what he's sacrificing, what he has to do in using this thing. And I thought it was interesting that for like what we kind of thought we were going to see is like a, just a straight out kind of monster action kind of movie. Mm. In the final scene, it's just about this character and what the consequences of doing this mean to him and what he sacrifices. And I thought that was very powerful that yeah. the music chose to go that way as well as the scene itself chose to go that way and not be about the action and more so about the character and what he's doing 
Yeah, that struck me as well. Um, it's the same music they used, uh, when they're when they're when they're panning over the destroyed Tokyo. It's the same music. And was it the same music? Yeah, because I, I was listening to it about half an hour ago, and I was like, whoa! I was like, that music. I love that music as well. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's the same music. And then I was thinking, whoa, okay. So if they're if they're reusing the same music from destroyed Tokyo, I mean, it was clearly this is about the atomic bombs. Yeah. Um. If if they were using the same music to show Tokyo destroyed as when Godzilla dies, I mean they're connecting the scenes. So is the death of Godzilla also tragic? You know, um, because you know, again we're kind of going into more story, but I feel like we have to here because it's, it's so important. But like, so is he just an? I mean, he's just an animal lashing out after an atomic bomb. Like he's not caused by the bomb; he's been attacked by the bomb. The bomb going off in the, the the atomic bomb test going off in the Pacific Ocean. That's what that's what wakes him. Um, with the the very real atomic bomb test that were going on in yeah. the, in 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 the Pacific Ocean. And so is he it's a misfortune so, like of, of 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 kind of circumstances. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm I'm thinking when they were used that music, is Godzilla the Japanese people? You know, um, maybe maybe some people. In Japan after World War Two, wanted to go on a rampage. Maybe they wanted to get revenge. Maybe they wanted to fight back after being blown to bits. You know, I'm not saying that that that's how they all felt. But I feel I wonder if this film is like an exercise in Japan discussing and analyzing who they are now after, you know, as a people, as a country after you know a, a generational event. I mean, an unbelievable event. Only one round in getting quite deep. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what the music did for yeah. me. The music took me there, um, and he, even 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 Godzilla's themes. You know, the drums sound like bombs. Mm. You know, it all goes back to bombs. Yeah, there was so there was like clearly an allegory to, yeah. for for war. Um, film definitely. Um, okay, so I think I think we're ready to vote. Um, yeah, and I think there's no shocks coming up here, but Liam. Uh, what did you vote for? For music, I voted for Godzilla. I also voted for Godzilla. <laughs> what a shock! I think, like for me, it's like there's there's there's, there's three or four kind of distinct uh, aspects of the soundtrack yeah. that really stood out, mm-hmm. and I don't think King Kong had that in its soundtrack. I think that's kind of the difference. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'd, I'd be honest, I think Godzilla's soundtrack is one of, it's now one of my favourite soundtracks I've ever heard. Uh, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's um, a brilliant so soundtrack. So it, it wasn't, to be honest, there was no chance King Kong was even going to be in the same league, to be honest. Um, Okay, so, let's move on to the next round, shall we? Yes. Round two. Action and special effects. Um, this is one I think King Kong will come to the fore a little bit more. Uh, first thing, just kind of, it's like almost like a lack of action. But I love the fact that when they waited to introduce King Kong, I agree. It reminded me of how they wait for Jaws, while, yeah, or even, <laughs> or as well, even in Jurassic Park, they wait a while to show the. I know they showed the Stegosaur or the. Brontosaurus or the Brachiosaurus. Yeah, early on, but seeing the T Rex is like just halfway through the film, so they wait. And I was actually 
pleasantly surprised to see they did the same with King Kong. They wait a while before you introduce him. But there's the whole mystique about him. They're just kind of, you're waiting for that that thing to happen, you know, and it's kind of that build, that build, that build, you know, which I think always works well. I I, I like uh, films that kind of have a slow, slow build like that sometimes, you know. Yeah. It, it does work. Um, I think pretty much every good action film that I've seen don't shoot their load straight away. They they allow um a build, you know, rising tension is way better than just going blah and throwing everything at you straight away. Um so I really enjoyed the fact that they didn't and, and, and apparently actually it was quite funny is that the producers were pushing and pushing and pushing for Kong to be introduced sooner and sooner, but the directors were finding no 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 this this will build the tension better. If we introduce and, and build him up slowly the reveal will be so much more worth it. Yeah, which is basically definitely exactly right with that. Chose, yeah. But um, this is also we're talking about revolutionary. I mean, this film it's 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 amazing how important this film is historically. So earlier we were saying this is the first time a score was composed for a film. This is the first time claymation effects were used in a film. Um, and it wasn't just claymation; it was claymation that was done to a ridiculous level. Like, I mean, I'm 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 into my art, and and I like studying special effects. When we do movies, I'm kind of more the technical side of things, and it just blew my mind. Like, uh, I couldn't believe what I was watching at times, to be honest. Um, and like, there are moments where you can tell, you know, it, it, yeah. it looks fake, but. The film had enough going for it that you overlooked those moments. And I'm not saying every like there was a lot that looked great, but those little moments where you can tell it's fake. As I said, the film the, the film had a lot going for it that you yeah you, know, you accept it because you're in the story. If it was like a terrible film, they'd stand out a lot more to you. Yeah, but what I always say is, um, I was I I was involved. Like, if you notice the special effects, usually that means it's because they're not good. You know, and especially if you're taken out of it when you go oh that's clearly just a ball of clay moving around there then you know it's not good and it very rarely was I taken out of it in particular in the like insane action sequence after action sequence after action sequence that we had in the jungle like I mean that was breakneck speed so like but also just before we get there like I, I love the set design you know, of the, the tribe, big massive, the village, um, the, you know, the, the, the big massive the, gate the walls, kind of thing. The gate, and that latch, when they open the latch, they were close up of the latch. I mean, it's so is. clear that Jurassic Park was influenced by Completely. King Kong there. I mean, <laughs> but even that line where Jeff Gomes says, what have they got in there in King Kong when they go through yeah, the gate? Yeah, I gate. forgot that actually. Yeah, but you're dead right. Um, I also like, just again, before we get into the jungle stuff, um, you know, when Anne has been um, kidnapped by the, by the tribes people and they're, you know, obviously setting her up to go and be sacrificed. I love the fact that it didn't subtitle anything they were saying. Yeah. Because it, it put us in her shoes. She doesn't know what they're saying. She doesn't know what they're trying to do or what they're going to do. How how bad is she at risk? You know, how much of a danger is she in? And she's panicking. She doesn't know what's going on. And, and we kind of, we feel that from her perspective, I feel, you know, that, which, and that's not really action, but it was just, it, it built the tension in the scene. Um, Even, uh, there was a scene, a moment I liked was, um, when you first see the Stegosaurus mm. and the crew are kind of in the foreground yeah, and you see the Stegosaurus in the distance and initially it doesn't see them yeah, and it walks out and then it kind of turns back and what I liked was because they're in the foreground you felt like you were one of the group members with them looking on yeah. so it made it like that bit more creepy kind of and scary that when it looks yeah. back then it's like you were in their 
in their um, their shoes almost in a way, which I thought mm. was a really cool shot. The, the only thing about that one that I didn't like is that they seem <laughs> quite under I wouldn't say underwhelmed. Like they don't react at all. Like they're seeing an actual dinosaur. I had that down for when 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 it's killed. Or one of the dinosaurs is killed, and uh, I think it's uh, Denim and the skipper just like walk beside it like it's nothing. Yeah, but like, but also, you would be in like, yeah, that's saying, you would be a lot <laughs> like that moment, first God. sighting. Like, again, we're comparing it to Jurassic Park a lot, but that remember that scene, obviously, you remember that scene in yeah. Jurassic Park where, where Ellie and Alan see the Brachiosaurus for the first time and just the sheer scale and the awe. And you know, I mean, he's almost getting sick, like, he just he, he's gonna faint. And compare that to this, we're like, oh yeah, there's there's a prehistoric creature that we assumed was dead, you know, sixty four million years. Anyway, let's uh, let's kill it, which they do it with like one shot. <laughs> I know he's still alive, you know, when they go past, and I like the fact that he's still kind of kicking, but like, it seemed a bit too easy. He would just go down with like one shot. You know what I mean? I thought that the first battle would be you know a big tense affair, and then maybe they can kind of start getting the upper hand, but like just kill it straight away. So it was away. a great scene where they're um. This kind of a fog effect when they make that raft mm. and there's an initial shot of the dinosaur coming out of the water you just kind of see it breaking the surface the head which I thought was very creepy yeah very yeah. disturbing mist mist is, is so great because things coming out of the mist is out is a shock but just the way to bring it out of the water just yeah. slightly the head coming yeah. out I thought it looked very disturbing yeah it was great I, I love that scene as well and then when he comes out and he chases the guy up the, tr- up the tree I, his screams gave me chills. Like the, his death rattle was just like, oh my god, that just sounds gruesome. Yeah, it was proper kind of, you know, monster scenario moments. Like even when, uh, when uh, I think it's Driscoll is hiding under and Kong's trying to grab him with the hand. Mm. I just felt like that old school kind of hiding from the monster kind of thing. Just like, just really kind of. Um, just as a child, kind of stuff you associate with being attacked by a monster, just it just felt like that kind of uh, an old kind of uh, nightmare from your childhood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, and every every set piece is different. You know, th- there is the the you know the Stegosaurus first, and then we're crossing the raft with the Brachiosaurus, and then we go on, and Kong is like throwing the guys off of the the the, the log. That, that scene. scene, and you see how far they fall and the oh impact. My God, yeah, uh, that that actually <laughs> that was like. You really felt like just oh, just like a brutal yeah. way. Oh, to you go really like, feel the weight of 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 the violence and the weight of of the impact of, of what's going on there. Of course, when they fall, I didn't notice until I think yesterday. I found that it's like a, I think at the last scene, it's called like the spider tunnel or something. But there's like spiders, crabs, lizards. When those guys fall down, they're all eaten by these things. Um, and apparently, like they said, that it was just so gruesome and terrifying that they couldn't include it and they had to cut it out yeah yeah i saw it as well i saw it just this evening actually um and i can see why it was i'm obviously i'd prefer if it was kept in um but uh it was it was very gruesome because you do actually see a lizard does come up at one point when O'Driscoll's hiding from kong and O'Driscoll cuts the rope yeah so i think that, i think that's where that lizard came from yeah then that makes sense but, it, but even even you know, even with that scene cut that all it flowed so well there, like it didn't, you didn't feel the the film was lacking because of it. I don't think the, do you, could, the only thing um, I had a sm- small uh, quibble with with that whole sequence, chasing sequence was there was a lot of uh, 
a lot of it was like characters that I didn't really know that well that were being chased. So you weren't, you hadn't kind of grown attached to them. So you were like, well, who's this guy now that's being killed? You know, it was kind of, they weren't distinct characters, you know. Mm. But I think it was more about just seeing the dinosaurs yeah. and seeing them. So, you know. and, and again, it, it is important to remember the context of like, this is the first time people have seen anything like this ever. You know, nobody has gone to the cinema and sat down and seen anything like this. Like, I cannot imagine what it must have felt like to be an audience member in 1933, sitting down to watch this for the first time. I mean, no, I I mean, I don't think I've ever had a cinema-going experience where something that revolutionary just kind of took place. I mean, even Jurassic Park, when it was kind of like the first film to really do CGI properly, um... I don't think it was the same way. Like we had seen stuff that was still amazing, but this is like you're going from, you know, I don't know <laughs> what kind this of level the of special effects. But this is like <laughs> this is it. Like I mean, you know, there's nothing like this. It's it's, it's it must have been quite incredible. But what is cool is that like today it still works. Like, oh my you can god! Watch like, it and you can still go this. Looks like really after cool. that, after the Driscoll, after Driscoll is, is escaping in the cave, you know, he goes. I was reaching for him. Then we go straight into the T Rex fight. And like the T Rex fight was, it was like a knockdown drag out fight. You know, I, it was two guys fighting in an alley. I thought, yeah, I, I, there was aspects that I liked, but I thought it got a little comical when he like climbed up on his shoulders. I thought it was a bit. Yeah, I know. I know yeah, you know, like, look, it's not realistic, but I actually really enjoyed it. And there was a, there was elements of it technically that were just so brilliant. Like there, there's this there's one bit. Like it, I love it when little details are, are paid attention to. And one of them was so during the course of the fight, you know, because so obviously we're we're looking at miniature, you know, clay being stop motion clay being moved around, and in the foreground you have Anne who is in a, an actual real tree trunk, and that's filmed, you know, on a set, and then there's you know probably the screen's projected. She's acting in front of a screen of the film of them fighting, but there's a there's a part of that scene where the the T Rex's tail whips across, and then the tree trunk. As it grazes where it should be, where the tree trunk should be, the tree trunk shakes, moves, as if his tail whipped the tree and moved it. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, you didn't need to do that, but they did. And just those subtle little things. And you might, I mean, you didn't notice it. I mean, most people might notice it. I mean, maybe I've watched it other times, I might have noticed it. But I just happened to, you know, studying it closely. And I was like, that is how you do, you know, that's how you, you mix two different imagery together. You make them interact. It's the hardest thing to do, and I did it so well. well did, you get it later as well. But. What What was cool, actually, I just noticed a little thing was um. So when the T Rex first emerges, it kind of like scratches <laughs> its like neck with its arm, and in the Lost World, uh, when the T Rex is in the city going around the houses, it does the exact same thing. It kind mm. of when its arm it kind of scratches its neck, yeah. kind of chest area, and I was like, oh, so that's where that came from. <laughs> so again, I was like. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I thought the actual acting of the dinosaurs, so really we're talking about the, the animators, the acting on display was fantastic. I love the fact that, like, after Kong snaps the T-Rex's, you know, mouth open, he's checking it a couple of times to see if it's still dead, like, he's not sure. Subtle little details like that, like, really, I would say humanistic, but, you know, obviously, like, like, like it's a, he's a real creature thinking and analyzing and checking. He's not sure if it's dead or not. He's making sure. Um, well, what, what was interesting was you see the kind of difference between how uh, the natives kind of 
engage with Kong and how like um, Denim wants to present Kong. So the natives kind of worship him, you know, they have mm-hmm. these kind of rituals. Denim wants him just chained up on display, just look, you know, just observe, you know, whereas they kind of have a different appreciation for him, which I thought was kind of, it was interesting to kind of see the parallels. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a dichotomy there. And maybe more for the characters, though, would that be? Or, um, I don't know, just to throw it in. Yeah. But and one thing I didn't understand was when they get onto the ship and take Anne, like, how would they know where to go and how would no one have noticed that? That was one thing I kind of uh, found strange. I mean, like, this film is not, like, the most... You know, it's not a Scorsese film, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's pretty straightforward. And we'll get, we'll get into this later, I think, in the characters, probably. But it, it's not, like, um, the most dense in story. I was just curious. I was wondering how the hug um, was. Yeah. Like, uh, to be honest... It's I, not, it's not uh, a yeah, massive... Not, I didn't dwell I'm on it, like, for the whole film. I just was like... Oh, <laughs> um, the bigger question is, how do they get Kong onto the <laughs> ship? <laughs> and how do they get him into the building in without no one noticing yeah him. but even just like what doorway is he going to fit through it's like smash down the like he can smash through him. the wall he smashes through the wall when he's coming out but like what, what doorway is he fitting through actually Joe like, when he does break out like and he gets loose in the city when he when he destroys the, the train mm. um, and you see like you smash the door and you see all the people like falling on top of each other I thought, yeah. that, I thought that was quite harrowing like it's like yeah. what a way to go like just literally being crushed to death yeah, no, some oh, of them not even by the fall just by others falling on them you know also I, I thought it was yeah definitely and I thought it was a nice moment as well like when he reaches in the window and he grabs the woman and he, he thinks it Anne and it's not and he just dumps her on the ground that was just casual just like oh my god yeah no thoughts about no. just like just let to go like, uh, but just, I, th- I think both of those scenes are to emphasise one that he's just an animal like, mm-hmm. as in, I don't mean that in like, oh my God, he's like it's just an animal. As in, like, he is a wild beast. He, you know, he's. I mean, what would you? I mean, what would happen if you took a gorilla, a regular sized gorilla, and set it loose in New York? It's mm-hmm. going to cause havoc. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it doesn't understand. Like, you know, that's rude. <laughs> you don't kill people. <laughs> um, you don't dump them out of windows, crush trains. They just do to react you know they're just instinctive and I think that kind of those scenes kind of for me emphasize that he and which is what you mentioned earlier about the music he is a victim of of denim in particular mm-hmm. he's just an animal living in, in a jungle forced into this and environment and he's been captured he's brought to New York put on show um, teased basically teased, to bring yeah, Anne out with in front Anne, of with him. the lights he didn't mention earlier about the you know, I mean Denim should have known with the lights uh, we'll get he, into him later yeah and um, uh, and just you know so, I mean he it, it is a tra- it, it's a tragedy and but what's interesting oh actually I went to later actually with Denim but um, uh, oh, one thing again of note like when the press come along they're like oh yeah there, there's a giant uh, ape like no one is surprised. Nobody is like, "What? Oh my god!" Like, geez, he's slightly bigger than regular apes, isn't he? No, nope, no one. What did you think of the fall? His fo- the fall. I thought it looked great, but it kind of the 
fact that he bounced off like Paris building, it was just like <laughs> there's almost an element of humor to yeah, it. Yeah, it was almost like kind of like this, this I th- grandeur I, I, I think it's, figure just falling from grace. Well, I think you that's know, it. Just, like you know, he is you know, a god, yeah. and and he, at the end, he just, he's just a sad he, animal. Yeah, he just like, reduced just, to just like I I, I think I think thing. it adds to the tragedy of it. Well, just one thing, just briefly, um, before we move on, uh, one shot I really didn't like, or one kind of shots that I didn't like, was the close-ups of his face. Yeah, when the they show his face in real close up and he's like chewing people, it looks so fake. It looks so bad. And they were the moments that took me out of it. I'm like, ah, oh, could you not? You know, it looks terrible there. The and there's no need to do it. The close up of the hands looked great though, I thought. Oh. And when he crushes them with the with the with crushes people. With the wall, the foot looked yeah. fantastic. Um, they looked great. There was yeah, there was one other thing I was like, one two things. One well, I hated and one that I loved. So one that I hated was when the people were in claymation they looked terrible I mean they they, they honestly looked like a child's attempt at animating people I don't understand how they could be so amazing animating I I wonder if it's just budgetary reasons time they didn't have time to animate people properly but they looked so bad I mean I I think a doll would look better in the hand something you know just be static but it looked it was just a pile of mala mala for what if it's like a play-doh for anybody who's not Irish. Um, but one scene that I loved, and again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the um, mixing the miniature work with the uh, with the uh, the live action work. And it's a scene where he's, where he's disrobing Anne. Yeah. And he's so, you've got the giant hand that she's sitting in, which is a real hand. And then you have the miniature who's reaching over and taking off her clothes. So he's reaching over to her, the miniature is, Taking off her clothes, her clothes come off in the live action, and then the miniature is grabbing them and dropping them, and it's seamless. And I, I, I get, I mean, I, I don't fully understand how they're able to do that so well at the time. You know, on her first attempt, this is the first time a movie has done this. I, I was just like, I was in awe of how well that looked, because I, I had to kind of catch myself. I was like, oh, that looks good, and then I was like, oh, oh my god, I can't believe what they're actually doing here. They're, they're, they're mixing two different shots, and interacting. It's so hard to do. It was done so well. But you want um, to move on to yeah, okay, Godzilla's let's... action and special effects. Yes. Okay. So, do you want to start on Godzilla? Uh, yeah. Um, I thought. The... <laughs> so I'm gonna start with the first thing I noticed. <laughs> no, the first thing I noticed when I actually the first shot of him I did really like when they show him over the mountain. You kind of see a bit of the head. Mm. But I thought the eyes looked really, <laughs> really bad. Like, really bad. Uh, yeah, I get to that later. But there's a shot where where he's destroying Tokyo. And um, it's just after he set the buildings ablaze. And I think the, the fire engines are coming in. And he just looks at the camera. And he looks almost cross-eyed or something. Like, he looks he looks like a terrible puppet. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I laughed. I laughed out loud. I don't know if you remember, but I laughed. When I watched, when I saw that, I was like, and then following that was the fire engines, the miniatures and the fire engines. I laughed at that as well. I was like, oh my god, this is absolutely ridiculous. They're glowing though on the on the scales. Mm. In fact, that that was that was a cool shot. I I did like that. Um, I just yeah, I just couldn't get over the eyes. Were, were, <laughs> well, let's just bad. go back to just maybe kind of the start of it. So you're saying you liked them in the intro? Yeah, I um, liked it. They shot a shot over the mountain, just the head. You spoke earlier about his roar. His roar. Is one of them. I think it's the. I think it's the the most distinctive and best monster movie roar I've ever heard. Um, it sounded like a rusty lion's roar 
mixed with a motorbike. I, I, I've never had anything like it before. Nothing even similar. Um, you know, the T-Rex or, or you know, um, King Kong. Um, I know, obviously, that he's a fictional character, so there's more leeway to kind of go in different areas. But I was just so distinctive. Like, you would never mistake that for any other roar any other creature like that is that is godzilla and it is i mean it grabs you straight away like you know it it sets the mood it, it um so yeah i love i love that 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 roar that he has it, i had amazing. it more in the in the character section but okay, like, i on. get into it now that you mentioned it yeah. but yeah the roar is like just thunderous and terrifying yeah. Uh, but it's a real satisfying kind of terror that you feel <laughs> yes, when you yes. hear it. Yeah, I mean, which way, I mean, action films are like that. You know, when you see something amazing, even if it's awful happening, you're just, you're in awe of it. Yeah, it, to me, like it reminded me of the kind of the same feeling I got when I hear the T Rex Jurassic Park. It just there's mm. something about that screeching sound that's just really impactful and just just you just kind of sit, you kind of perk up to attention that hearing it just grabs you instantly. Yeah. Um, it was re- every time he, he made that sound, you were just like just engrossed. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of like the, the action kind of scenes in general, um, I thought like I be honest, like Jonas Seymour destroys the city. Yeah. I thought like it was really it just kept going on. It went on for way too long, and I thought it kind of just like became really re- repetitive. It felt like shots were kind of. We're just repeating. There was a nice little bit where he the, the the kind of clock tower starts kind of um, chiming and he kind of just bites on it. I thought that was, <laughs> it was something different. Yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. that's cool, that's cool. Yeah. But I thought there was a lot of shots in it where it was just like, this is just getting kind of redundant and kind of I have enough of it. But after he is he's done destroying the city, you notice that he's just walking around and he's not making a sound. It's kind of like that after all this horrendous stuff is kind of the, the the calmness that followed I thought that was really really well done yeah so I, I I was much more into the aftermath of it and just seeing him walking around after he had destroyed everything but I thought a lot of the destruction of the city it just I thought it could have been reduced by about five or six minutes I just thought it was done way too long yeah uh, I, I think I, I agree with pretty much everything you said um, like just before I want to go into the city stuff I'll just mention a couple of things I did like um it's a godzilla's suit i think from a distance actually looks pretty good i mean i mean again one thing we have to remember as well the budget for this is was way lower than king's king kong's was back in the day and they also had only 14 people on staff and and most of them had never done animation before so um because the the special effects uh, i can't remember his name now but the the guy who was doing special effects he wanted to do it in claymation the same style as king kong but he realized that it would take him seven years to do all the work for it. So he couldn't do it. So they had to go with the rubber suit. Um, so, I mean, we have to kind of give them kind of a little leeway for budgetary reasons. You know, they're not a big Hollywood, pro- you know, producer, you know. Um, but like we established, we can only judge it on what we see on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, 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 but just, again, just before I go into the, the bad things, I didn't, I did think from a distance, I thought it looked good. And I thought when he, when he first comes out of the water and he attacks a train, you know, I don't think it's Tokyo. I think it's a different city or a different part of the city. I'm not sure. But um, when he attacks that, I thought, I actually really liked that scene. I think darkness suited. And I think it's very much reminded me of the T-Rex paddock scene in Jurassic Park, where he comes out, he's in, in, in darkness, he's in shadow, they're hiding the scenes literally and figuratively. Um, 
and and he looks you know menacing and it 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 it's a scene that really worked um compared to the talk the, the grand tokyo scene that did not work at all i agree with you i got bored um I kept thinking because we just watched King Kong. I'm I'm not sure if it was a day or two days or whatever it was before. I kept thinking back to every King Kong's action scene looked different and felt different, and it was a different pace or energy or a different type of fight or something. And this, it just like you were saying, just felt samey, just over and over and over again. I just go, okay, all right. And then, but you know what? What was weird? The fact that I kind of got out. Uh, it kind of took me out of the movie. When I then, when they then do the aftermath shot with that music, it actually had, was more impactful because I was really not like that. Was just like, oh my god, you know. Um, going back to the music, man. I think I may like the music for this film. Um, um, I think it, less is more would have yes, been good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially when 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 it looks like that. Yeah, I, I because. There's a scene after the attack as well, a little bit after that, where there's a little girl who's crying when her mother's been taken away. And you see, like, it's... For me, it was more... The consequences of Godzilla's actions were far more impactful than seeing Godzilla, you know, create and do out the the destruction that he was doing. It was seeing how it was uh, affecting people. That, to me, was was, uh, a lot more interesting... Uh, and was was really the heart of the film. I agree entirely. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I'm gonna go into that a little bit more in the characters. Yeah, but uh, that, that's fine to bring it up here. I mean, it, I did like the shots though with the because it might have been a nod to, to King Kong where, again with with the train track, and it's like there's always, timing is always terrible during these major attacks for people in trains or you know training King Kong, training Godzilla, where he crushes it, and then I remember in the Lost World as well. There's that bus scene, and it's like. Just happens to be a T-Rex attacking or Godzilla attacking or a, a giant ape attacking and just happens to be a train or a bus coming <laughs> at the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. and just gets destroyed. Those poor guys. Um, yeah, no, and it's funny you say it because it's not King Kong because um, originally, um, the, I think, I'm not sure at which order, but they were considering a gorilla and they were also considering uh, a squid, I think it was, as well. And the name um, Gojira, you know, which is Godzilla in the original Japanese, it comes from the two words for uh, gorilla and whale. It combines those two words. So I think there's definitely, obviously, a huge influence from King Kong on this film. I mean, it's, I mean, the fact then that after this, soon after this, they did King Kong versus Godzilla, the Toho um, studios did. There was, was one thing I was just curious about. I get it's it's a minor thing, but it's like, why were they having like a dance thing on a ship in the ocean? Obviously, when all this stuff is happening, like, why would you go into the ocean when you when all these attacks have happened and you and you know that he's like dwelling in the water? Why would you be having a dance? Do you remember the late during like maybe yeah, just coming to the halfway point of the film, maybe a little earlier. Because I'm an idiot. Happy? <laughs> Who would go on that? <laughs> and then also, does um, I can't remember the character. I did. It, what's the character's name? Um, Shinichi or Shiniki? I'm not sure. I think he might be the brother of a guy. Oh, the kid guy. He runs out while there's an attack. Early in the film, there's an attack happening. He runs out of the house. <laughs> mm. There's these big winds howling. You know yeah, he's yeah. coming, and it's like, why are you? 
running out and then like it was strange yeah um some people did act odd in this mm-hmm. film and we'll get into that in character oh speaking of acting odd i have to run the tower scene where the guy's reporting and he's like, oh, well, it looks like we're done for now. I don't think we're going to survive this. He's up here yeah, at the tower. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like... We burst out laughing when we said that. <laughs> just like reporting. Just, it's like a comedy. Yeah, it just so did not fit into the film at all. The tone of that scene was just such at odds with the weight of what they were talking about and, you know, um, referencing to... Yeah, really, really bizarre. Also, another thing that I thought was quite silly was that they erected an electric fence, like, all around Tokyo Bay. I don't know. I mean, maybe what, the entire length of Japan? I don't know. Um, In what, like a day or two? I mean, they've been, they've been laying a tarmac down the end of our road for the last six weeks. Did <laughs> <laughs> you get those boys over to them? <laughs> I think with that, we'll... Um, I think we'll, 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 we'll pick... Yeah, which one we're going for in, okay. in this category? Uh, if you want to go, you want okay, to go first. Okay, I'll go. I'll go first this time. So for me, uh, yeah, it, it's not even close. Like the music is not even close. King Kong takes this all the way. Uh, yeah, for me, it's one hundred percent without doubt. King Kong is Trump's Godzilla when it comes to the action and special effects. It was, it was never in doubt, really. Yeah, yeah, no chance. Okay, so moving on to the final and um, decisive round of round three characters. A lot different to last week, where like we kind of already knew it was like done and dusted. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this yeah. is going to be uh, it's, it's neck and neck again. It's going to be an interesting final round, the mm. penalty shootout. Okay, so I'll start. I'm honestly, I'm not sure which character, how many characters you have down, but I'm just going to go and then... Yeah, I think just, just, just yeah, throw out who you yeah, want to talk about. Okay, that, so yeah. I'll start with Denim. Okay. So we're in King Kong, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, I mean, I'll be honest. Overall, actually, I'll just start overall on King Kong. The characters, I mean, are basically non-existent. I, I mean, I, there's barely a character in the film. They're awful people. You know, but then it's awful people, they're awful characters, as in, like, they're so bare bones. Like, like Denim is... Okay, I mean, actually, Denim is the only one that actually has something to him in that he's slightly interesting. So, like, he is this kind of this mad artist who's, like, he's willing to go to the ends of of the earth, literally, to get, like, his next, you know, big motion picture, and he'll risk anybody... He'll risk anybody's life. I mean, clearly, he... um. He, and he's also like a control freak so like you know like he does all the filming himself like because the other the other last camera operator he had ran away I think well, I can't remember what he said was running towards him a lion or something and so that's why he takes over because everyone else is a coward when it comes to it well they say early in the film that like he has a reputation for being reckless and I think he mm. certainly lives up to that yeah <laughs> you could say that again um, but he is also brave like he's very, he's very brave. I, 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 like, I mean, he's willing to help Driscoll. Remember, like when Driscoll and him get separated, and he's like, "I can't, I, I can't help you, you know, but I'll try and make it over." And he's like, "No, no, no, go and and get the others and get the get the bombs." Hmm. Um. So like, even though he's reckless, he and then he also uses the bombs to um, to take out King Kong. Like he's the guy who steps up and and does it. You know, everybody else is dying, <laughs> running. He yeah, but I I think as well he he's like 
there's not a lot. He doesn't show a lot of sympathy for those who died on the no. quest because, like, I, he speaks up about like, oh, the eight wonder of the world, and he's like, you know, saying, oh, it was this crazy thing. But he's almost he's selling it off of the fact that a lot of his crew were killed, and he doesn't seem to care about that. And he even says as well at one point, he's like, uh, oh, I think we've got something that he wants. So he's playing off the whole thing of him going after yeah, Anne, and, 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 and even when they've just gotten out of like the gate, game he's like, oh, um, we can use Anna's bait. Like, because <laughs> I remember when Simpsons were were the Halloween episode, <laughs> Marge is yes. like obviously supposed to be Anne. He's like, yeah. and he's like, am I coming too? Of course, he wouldn't go without the bait. That was the baiting beauty. The baiting beauty. <laughs> I covered that pretty well. It's like that's literally what he was doing. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no subtlety. There's no subtlety at all. Um, yeah, but as I said, he's brave, but he's also he's brave only for personal gain. Mm. Like he's always playing for the headlines. Like even at yeah. the end when. When Kong dies, you know, it's he's like, no, it was beauty killed the beast. You know, always coming up with these lines yeah, and these yeah. things to sell a story. Yeah. Um, uh, well, one, one, one thing I did like, though, um, actually, no, I thought I was going to do it now. I was going to do it in Driscoll, but sure, what does it matter? Um, is that he lays out the entire film earlier. You remember when um, he, he comes along and Driscoll is talking to Anne and he spots him and he starts talking about beauty and the beast? Yeah, and uh, he compares Driscoll to the Beast, and he goes, um, "Oh yeah, like the Beast, he you know it goes soft and then it's killed by the little people." Yeah, which is exactly you know, bit, yeah. exactly what happens to yeah. to to Kong. He goes soft when he sees the girl, and mm-hmm. he's killed by the little people. Um, so I, I like that. I thought that was um, a nice little kind of setup. Um, but anything else to add on Denim? Uh, I don't think so. I just yeah. I think he was the most interesting character, though, uh, aside from Kong. Yeah. Uh, of um, the humans, I think he yeah. was the most interesting. We're going to and Driscoll? Uh, yeah. Okay, and uh, <laughs> down in her look. I mean, basically, I'm just describing the story now because to her, she doesn't have a character. Yeah. She's down in her luck and homeless. She's eager and enthusiastic. She's the archetype damsel. Beauty and the Beast. Some of stuff that is said to her, though. By yeah, well, yeah, with Driscoll. <laughs> okay, you drink, yeah, Driscoll. We'll leave that for Driscoll. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to Driscoll in a second. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was stunned. Yeah, yeah, we'll stay with her for the moment, though. Yeah, well, well to be honest, that's me done on end. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I think, she, okay, well, like, I think, I guess there's a parallel in a way between her and Kong and that she's kind of, because she's kind of living on the street almost uh, yeah. when, when, Denim kind of finds yeah, her. Yeah, she seems way more interested. What's so? Sorry, I'm yeah, go on. Sorry. No, I'm just saying that. Like, so, like, he brings her to the island, and she's like, and she comes into this whole situation. So it's a different environment for her. And then similarly, how Kong is brought back to New York, and he's in this situation. The only thing is that she kind of seeks it out. She wants it, where Kong doesn't. And yet, it's Kong who ultimately, you know, perishes. But she doesn't. Although I don't think she'll ever be the same again after going through <laughs> but that. But she doesn't seem that worried. Like when when she's there in front of standing in front of him, and she's like, "Oh yeah, stand for the pictures, wave." Um, yeah, I was gonna get to that. I don't know. Like she's she's an idiot, obviously. Like why would you want to go back near him after being like that whole scenario on the island? Why would you come back? I mean, it was a pretty stupid thing to do to come back yeah. into that. Like why would you do that? Nobody in this film acts like a real person. There are no real characters in this film. I mean, they're just avenues to move the story along. Like, I mean, we we set up this love story between Anne and Driscoll. And then it's like, okay, I mean, I know he, he saves her. But, like, without the love angle, he'd still save her. I mean, like, she's a woman who's 
Okay, let's go on to Driscoll. Yeah. So he is like the most openly misogynistic character I think I've ever seen in a film. I, I, I mean, some of the dialogue was uh, like, you don't like women, do you, or something? No, no. No, like, I think she's, but, but she says, but you hate women. Oh, he says, I love you out of nowhere. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, but you hate women. Yeah. I know. I know. Like, not, not, not like, oh, you're stretching it or no, no, but you hate. Yes. Yes, I do. I hate every woman except for you. Consider yourself lucky. Or like she's like, um, uh, it's like you don't think much of women on ships, and he's like, no, not really. And then I'll try not get in the way. Then you have already, you know, stuff like this. <laughs> her introduction is him literally punching her in the face. Did she walks into the ship and she punches him in the face. He punches her in the face. She even says, "I didn't even apologize for hitting you, did I?" <laughs> and then like, I thought it was by mistake, but yeah. like, still, that's her introduction but is the, literally a fist into the jaw. But then I was thinking, I was like, how the hell would she fall in love with him? And then I was like, okay, at least then he saves her. So I guess that might be a reason why she might. But it's the damsel. But it's, it's the, yeah. It, it's the, I'll be honest. There was nothing really. It's nothing, it's, it's it's crap. In, in the characters are crap in this film. Uh, he's the he's the hero, so he saves the girl. So we accept that he's a terrible person and she is an idiot. And like we're supposed to care when really, I care about the next character. Tom. Yeah, and I'll just from Kong or from Driscoll to Kong. I'll say that Driscoll to me represents one of many kind of obstacles that Kong has to kind of face to kind of claim Anne as his own. Because I I feel like all the dinosaurs that Kong comes up against are almost represent like kind of a. Uh, you know, a threat to his position yeah. with Anne, even though obviously they just well, they're trying, the they're trying to eat Anne. Yeah, that's and, that's the point I'm making. But but yeah. in, in in a way, like it's like a almost like a metaphor for like if you, it's like Kong has to face all these obstacles to to keep her as his. You know, killing the snake, killing the T Rex, killing the pterodactyl. But then like it's actually then we're saying about the little people that are bringing him down. It's actually Driscoll who manages to get her away from him, and it's people at the end of the day that actually kill him. You know? Yes. So in a way, you know, that's sort of kind of yeah. And we touched on earlier, you know, the whole I don't know I was talking about when he's going in the rampage. Like he's just an animal. He's just an animal that was living his life, just doing his thing, eating the sacrifices the villagers mm-hmm. gave them. But it's not, it's not his fault. Like yeah. they gave him. But even then, like the fact that like the Empire State Building is a man-made yeah. object or building. And like he, that kind of is his final, his last stand, and he couldn't. It was like his Everest that he couldn't well, get over. You know. Yeah. One thing I'm unsure of is, it was he supposed to be tragic originally? I mean, I know to us in 21st century, certainly I'd say late 20th century, he clearly is tragic, and the music does kind of evoke it. So maybe it is. But I often kind of, I often kind of think of like Shylock in Merchant of Venice, where. Like he's he is this antagonist, and we're all supposed to boo him. But like when I read it and what they say to him, I can't help but be on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt kind of like that that kind of relationship where we're like, oh, look at this terrible monster eating all these people. I'm like, no, look at this poor animal that's been captured against its will and taken and stuck in the middle of a city where it doesn't belong. And and then it breaks loose, like of course it's going to do, and then it goes wild, like of course it's going to do. What I did love was um, so how they had these kind of overhead shots of him. It really emphasized the height and power of him. And then when when the cat, when the humans are looking at him, it's from above looking up. Mm. So it really again kind of emphasizes his height and power and grandeur. But then you notice when 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 Denim uses the bombs on him and they have him subdued, 
he's kind of laid out and the camera's kind of from the side and it's like level. So yeah. he's kind of like he's been defeated. Yes. He's down at their and, level and now. Th- and then when you see him climbing the empire, he looks tiny. Yeah. You know, because now he, he's, he's reaching his end and and the city, you know, man is, is, is you know, fighting back and, and taking the lead in, 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 in the war, in the battle. What was nice as well is when when they're shooting him from the from the aircrafts, um, you see how he delicately still yeah, puts her down, puts her down very gently, yeah. you know. Um, and then kind yeah, of, no, I I think I think thing I think it, they did it. That was intentional because it'd be hard for it not to be. But um, he is the only character in the film that uh, evoked any kind of emotion in me. I mean, I I I was enthralled by the action. I really really loved the action in this film, but. He was the only character that grabbed me in any way. He's definitely the star. Yeah, star of, of the film. Yes, very much so. Will we go on to Godzilla. We will go on to Godzilla. Okay, so for me, <clears throat> again, as a slight overview of the film, I feel like there are no real protagonists. I mean, there are characters in this film, and there are characters that are, um, you know, like the you know the 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 main part of a story for a while, and then they just like drop out for no reason and for ages, and then. They'll pop back again. You so really like, weren't sure who to kind of focus on. I don't know on who we're following yeah. or who to care about. Like, like, Ogata and Emiko at the start are introduced. And then like it's about half an hour later before they even appear again. On a ship, waving away with the trumpet merch. For me, like, I will just say, Kong is the star of King Kong. Hmm. For me, Serizawa is the star of Godzilla. I I, I would I, al- th- I would almost agree. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, you, you go make your point. And then yeah, I, I thought he was... Even though like... He comes into it like briefly, and then he's gone for half an hour. And he shows uh, Emiko the. Uh, we don't see it at first, but Joe, he says it's a secret. Don't, uh, don't tell anyone. And then we're kind of waiting for ages. Like, what is this thing? And you kind of forget about it, and you're like, he's not going to come back to that. And when they do, and you see that the dilemma, he now faces. Mm-hmm. It was like all of a sudden, yeah, he he's the character. He's the, he. This guy's. I thought he was a phenomenal character from that standpoint you see what he's going through and why he doesn't want to do it when he talks about like weak creatures you know and what how if he lets this be known how he could do far worse things so you see that that, that dilemma that he has and then I loved how when, when they have the the radio of the character of the schoolgirl singing and he's listening to that it was almost like he feels like am I that answer that they need do I have to go this way Yeah. because he knows if he does it's the end for him as well. The end for Godzilla, or the end, yeah, the end for Godzilla will be the end for him as well. I just thought it was really, really powerful. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I was leaving him for last because I agree that he is the character of this film. But I remember, like, when he, when we reveal what the, the, the oxygen destroyer is and we see his dilemma and we see what he's going through and and then, of course, that ending... You know that sacrifice that he makes and that decision, and even the fact that he's aware that his his fiance is cheating on him with his friend. I think because I'm pretty sure they are established as friends, or like they seem pretty friendly when they meet. <clears throat> you know, and so he's making all of this sacrifice for the sake of the people of his country. Mm. I'm like, I'm I I one I'm I'm you know I'm in I love that arc, but then I'm like, where the hell was he for two thirds of the film, like? Why did we need Professor Yamane when we already have a scientist like him who who we know down the road is going to have this amazing moral dilemma? Yeah, Just I, have him be Yamane. Yamane doesn't need to be in this film. Because I, I, I thought first Yamane was going to be kind of that 
that, yeah, that figure. Mean, that's and I was kind of gravitating towards him initially. And you feel for Yamane because because one thing I, I wonder is Godzilla. And Godzilla, obviously, as we've said several times already, is an allegory for for the the, the atomic bomb. But I wonder also because Yamane is kind of an environmentalist, and like he, he's astounded that everyone wants to wants to kill Godzilla. He wants to study it. So I feel like that that's kind of a partially, you know, um, talking about conservation of you know wildlife. Which pretty early in fifty four we're talking about this, but um, you know, like the, he he wants to save Godzilla, and he get, he gets really angry at Agata when Agata suggests like, look look what he's done, we should kill him, and he's like, I can't believe you'd say that, but I runs off. Yeah, I, I. But then he just disappears. Yeah, and initially I was kind of I did kind of I was on his side, but when he comes out saying that like we can't kill it. Yeah, I, I know. Like, what no, but are you talking about? I, I'm not saying I agree with no, him, yeah. but uh, but I, I can. I'm just saying that I think that what he's saying there is at least interesting. In that, it's uh, interesting. Are, are yeah. you referencing to kind of that? Because I, I, at first I do see. I see. I see what he's talking about. I mean, when we have this, I mean, there, there are there are massive animals. I mean, there are great white sharks in the ocean. Should we kill all the great white sharks? You know what I mean? Like I know it's not the same thing. It's a very much a different scale. Um, but I feel like that's kind of what they're referencing a little bit there. But even like after um, uh, <coughs> after um, Sarizawa dies, like he just kind of says, uh, you know, what was it? he says something about like how I wonder what more testing will, will, will another emerge. Well, he, well, no, what he's saying there is that it's a warning. He's saying is if it didn't seem like that. It's, no, it no, feel no. Like he was just lamenting the fact that he was gone. No, I, to be honest, I, I completely didn't that. take that at all. For me, and it was, and to be honest, I thought it was very too much on the nose, which this film is guilty of as well, of being very on the nose when it's coming to its um, overt references. To I mean, it's, it's pretty overt when you actually name the bomb over and over again. I mean. Again, I understand. Obviously, you know this. The bomb impacted their lives. Like all, the, all everybody in this film remembers the bomb being dropped. Um, so I understand, but it felt a little on the nose at times. But his last line to me very much was a warning that if man continues nuclear testing, because the first one awoke a Godzilla. So he he's saying that if there's another test, it'll awake another one and and destroy this country and destroy the world. I think that that that's the point. Yeah, I, I I didn't read it that way, but mm. maybe that maybe that's what the intention was. I just didn't kind of it didn't hit home with me that way. Yeah, um, okay. Well, yeah. Because it didn't hit home with me as much because I felt I'd already gotten that point from what I think are the best characters in this film, the extras. To me, they are the best characters. That woman with her child crying, that you mentioned her earlier, that that that's what impacted me. The, those children, children suffering from radiation poisoning in the hospital, that's what impacted me. That is the character. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I think this film, the characters are, are weak. I mean, Sorozawa should be a great character, but he's not quite. I mean, he has a great dilemma, but he's not in there for most of the film. We only know his dilemma in the last, what, 10, I, 15 minutes? I think that for me, then, I would say that, that that's a testament to how good he is, that even despite only being in maybe like a quarter of the film, me personally, I had felt that impact. Yeah, no, of I what he brought to the I story. Felt it. I'm not criticizing the characters so much as I'm criticizing the writers for not having him in more of the film. But the the what I felt the most in this film was the people and the music. I know played a large part of it as well. But that that's in, Japan was the character that that, that moved me most. In so. saying that, uh, maybe in a way it was good that they didn't focus strictly on one character and they kind of jumped around because 
you know, in war, lots of people are affected by it. It's not just one person. So maybe maybe in a way that that kind of worked. I I kind of liked it in a way because it was unusual. It's not the norm. The fact that they bounced so much between, like you'd say, there's obviously there's Amiko Agata. Serizawa and yeah, but what, Professor... what, what do Amiko and Agata really do? What do they add to this film? Well, see, Agata to me, he I initially I thought he was well, going at to... the end. At the end, sorry, I'm talking over you. Sorry, go on. He like is presented initially as like the hero, but I yeah. feel like he was there to bring forward the hero. If that makes sense, in Serizawa, yeah. yeah, which I thought that was cool because initially you're expecting him to be the hero, and I'm not saying he didn't have moments where he was like he went down into the water with him risked his life as well but I thought he kind of brought out what needed to be brought out in in Serizawa you know convincing him to use the to use the oxygen destroyer you know he's supposed to, Agata is kind of you think it's going to be the hero but you know it wasn't that yeah but look, I, I, and again I think you could you could definitely have a film where Im, Imiko Ogata and Serizawa have this triangle going through the entire film but the characters drop out so much and then appear and then drop out and then reappear. Like, I mean, I mean, Sword Zawa, when he's waving them off in the ship, I was like, wait, did we meet him already? Like, I didn't even know. Like, like did we? I'm, I'm not sure. He's waving them off and he has sunglasses. Oh, he does. On. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay, who's he? Why Why am we supposed to care about him? Like, it just, I, I, the, the film did not flow well for me. Like, it did not introduce characters well. It dropped out characters. Story arcs were began and then never finished off. And then amazing story arcs were left to like the last few minutes of the film and, and had great weight to them and, you know, really achieved what they were trying to, I think, in a lot of ways. But, I mean, you know, think about how much better the film would have been if Ogata and Sorozawa had had like a really good friendship established throughout the entire film and then hit that sacrifice. Well, yeah. Do you not think it would be better? Maybe. I, I mean, I need to see that film. But just the way it was done, I, I would agree initially. I was like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? But... As it went on, I liked the way it, it played out. Especially for Serizawa yeah. in particular. But I like as well that with Ogata, like he kind of um is obviously he's you know, he's a honorable guy, but he's flawed as well. We all talk about characters having flaws, like he's having an affair with Emiko, which she's engaged yeah. to Serizawa. So he's got that kind of hanging over him. And then he has to convince Serizawa to, you know, save them and in doing so has to kill himself is the only way it can happen yeah so it's like he's bringing this question to him on top of this other thing of taking his woman almost you know so i thought that was an interesting kind of dynamic it, it, well. you know it is interesting i just i feel like there's so little to it I, as in like i feel like there it's not developed enough like I, I look at it and i go oh my god like this film like in moments is like amazing it is truly truly amazing and then it just it's also aggravating because i see the potential of what it could have been, and it annoys me that they didn't um, develop those characters more. I feel like the weight could have been built well, up. Maybe better. less of Godzilla destroying cities would have. <laughs> yes, I think the, we both definitely. The way to go we, with we, that, we both definitely you know, there because he had those scenes, like you said, like about the girl crying. Like, I agree, that was a really, oh, really powerful yeah. scene. A scene I wasn't expect expecting to see. No, you in never the film. see the repercussions of violence in these films, even in modern MCU. And I'm a big Marvel fan, but even in the modern MCU films. You don't see the impact that, like, you know, destroying a city would have on people. I mean, which obviously it would be, you know, a life-changing event. And we saw it here, and I f we felt it here. And they were the best characters to me. But we should mention the we, man himself. 
Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Miko for a minute. I oh, okay. I mean, didn't we already? Uh, okay. We're still Gata and uh, Serizawa, um, which Serizawa. Okay, I, love, I mean, so. for for me, Miko, the I mean, the the main, the main thing about her that that kind of caught me, that interested me, was after two two things. One was her the realization on her that she may have been able to stop this if she told people about Serizawa's weapon earlier. Um, that that realization that she's almost she feels going to be partly culpable for the devastation she's seeing around her, the children, radiated children, you know, telling a child that oh your mother will be back knowing that she's dead. It's that it's that pressure thing, and I think even with her kind of with the whole the secret the secret all the secrets I mean, that she has to keep, it kind of symbolizes the thing of war of all this pressure and stuff decisions you make and don't make. You know, how... it, it, yes, because it's important to remember as well that in Japan honor especially back then it was extremely important and so breaking your word was an extreme dishonorable act that's why she's so devastated by doing it that's why it's such a huge dilemma for her to break um, and it kind of symbolizes like the the fragile nature of their relationship the fact that she's not going to be able to continue with him as well yeah and she can't and she can't break the fact that she wants to break it off with him i mean like but i i I wondered like going forward i was thinking about like because you know, he before he dies, he says like, you know, I wish you and Agatha well. I hope you have a great life. I wonder would she have been able to go on with Agatha after that, just because of the guilt she would have felt, you know. I did wonder that. I as was well. wondering. That's what I was wondering, and that's why I, I thought that all that whole arc was. So I thought it was yeah, really. It it is. It is really well, good. And I I thought the, the three of them, like it all comes together at the end. I agree with you definitely, and like that scene where the two of them got on together, and you know, when then we. Agatha realizes what Sorazawa is doing, you know, is a is a really well acted scene and a really well done scene. Um, uh, I thought all of that worked really well. I just, I, I just kept thinking, why didn't we see more of them earlier? Why, why was Professor Yamane in this film? Why was there ten minutes of Godzilla Garden Rampage? You know, we, when we could have been developing these characters more. I guess at the time that was the main attraction was seeing Godzilla, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, which I which I understand as well, like you know, but just. It, but it's it not. It's not. A, it's. I mean, with all due respect to King Kong, this is not King Kong in that, like, you know, King Kong is about a thrilling action adventure film. This is uh, an allergy for, you know, an atomic bomb. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm just yeah. saying that I think at the time though, that's what a lot of people would have wanted to see. But there's a lot, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> a lot more to it than that when you look below the surface. Yeah, yeah. Okay, a but let, let, let's go on to the actual analogy himself, uh, Godzilla. Um. So yeah, again, kind of like, kind of like Kong. I feel, especially at the very end, he becomes a tragic figure. Um. Because I feel like he he's la- he's only lashing out in retaliation. I mean, mm. think about it, like he's living on deep underwater somewhere, and an atomic blast has maybe destroyed his home where he lives. Plus, they indicate that like he was yeah. Because kind of... I always thought, I mean, again, I think it may be in the crap nineties um, film that um, informed me of this, but I always thought that he was created by an atomic bomb, <clears throat> in that he was irradiated and mutated into this creature. But in this film. In the original, it's that the atomic bomb just woke him up, or 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 destroyed his habitat. Um, so he's lashing out in retaliation. He's getting his revenge. 
and what, what I liked was like they they go into detail about how he may have come about and even though it's like it's an implausible situation yeah it still seems plausible <coughs> in the context of the film you know with King Kong there's never an explanation about how he came to be or why he's there and and maybe that that film didn't need it but I thought that that was probably the most interesting aspect of Godzilla was they went into effort of explaining about how he probably came about mm-hmm. um, and that to me was you know it was about that talking about him and what he might be and how he came about and then the, the result the consequences of his actions was the most interesting interesting part about Godzilla than seeing him on the screen destroying I, I, things. I agree. I agree. Although I, I, will, I will say that you're talking about the, the feeling sympathy for him. When you hear him at the end when, when obviously he set yeah. off the oxygen destroyer, you can see him shrieking like just in agony. Yeah. And there is that moment where you do feel sorrow for, yeah, it's, for him. Yeah, definitely. Especially as well, like he's asleep. He's, he's just lying there. I love the fact that the final battle wasn't a battle at all. Yeah, I guess I indicated earlier. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it's a, it's a it's a slow, just sad, end, and it's you know, it, and it it wor- it allowed the weight of Surazawa's decision to play that much better when he's not like fighting, you know, with a spear or some crap. You know, he's not like this hero going down. He's he's a man, a, a genius, but a, a you know a normal man in strength who's just sacrificing his life to save. His people, um, but yeah, seeing this creature, it's animal. He's not evil. He's just an animal, um, agonizing in pain, um, is sad, and um, I felt for him. Yeah, uh, um, no, definitely. Uh, there was that uh, kind of a little bit like like with King Kong. There was that kind of solemn kind of yeah bittersweet kind of yeah. into it but I think it's a bit of a Godzilla but I think more so for Serizawa yes and what he's going yeah through, no I, I agree yes Serizawa is the most tragic character yeah. in that film definitely yeah there's no doubt about that um, okay I, I think the yeah, way it feels vote, like a natural conclusion yeah. okay so I'll go first maybe or you go first I don't know I don't know you go first okay on. so on characters this is the one I'll be honest I felt kind of was the closest definitely um like you know, we already discussed that music was just absolutely Godzilla, no problem whatsoever. Action was King Kong, no problem whatsoever. This one, I felt both films had flawed characters, but King Kong was was the only really character that worked for me in King Kong. While I didn't like some of the decisions they made with the characters in the film, and, and mostly the lack of use of them. When they were used, the Sorizawa in particular um, was very powerful. But for me, the most powerful characters in this film are the extras, and they absolutely seal it. So for me, it's Godzilla. Okay, I thought the way you were building it up, you were going to go with uh, with King Kong. The way just we were building it. Um, I will also go for Godzilla, but um, reasons maybe a little different. I think it, it comes down to. Kong, as I said, is the star of, of uh, King Kong. Uh, he's brilliant. But Serizawa is what does it for me. It was between those two, I think. I, but I think also Serizawa does have the support of Ogata and Amiko, the supporting characters. Kong is on his own. The other characters, as I said, Denim is entertaining. Driscoll functions as a Zan, but they're not 
they're not anything to write home about at all as characters. Kong is really, really works. But Sarizawa, for me, was the real impact. I was like watching him. I was like, this is a great character and his arc, even though it's he's limited screen time, uh, it still worked really well. And for that reason, I'm going going also with Godzilla for characters. So Godzilla takes it. And once again, we vote the same. We have yet not to vote the same on a round. Have we voted the same on every round? Every single round so far. Three episodes. It's not fixed, guys. It's <laughs> no. Well, you can hear why we why we decided Godzilla. We have we kind of have different mm. reasons. Well, similar, but we also we, we came to a different route to come to the conclusion. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think when you, I think anybody watching this, well, look, you tell us. Do you agree with us or not? Do we do we get it wrong? Do we get it right? Um, well, if you if you're if you're watching on on or listening on YouTube, um. You know, put it in the comments. You know, if you if you would have voted differently in the in certain categories and what way you would have gone. Uh, same with the previous episodes; the other two will be up as well uh, when this comes out. Yeah, so, every episode is yeah. on YouTube and also yeah. on every major podcasting service. Um, so follow us, like us, uh, comment, try, drop us a comment. We'd love to hear if anybody has any thoughts um, on our choices and our analysis. Did we get something very wrong? Did we pronounce the names terribly? I don't know. Probably. Definitely on that one. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So um, until next week, which is... Hey. Next week is... The Raid versus... I can't remember. Dread. Oh. I couldn't remember the name of the title. I never yeah. forget that. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my cue, but I... I think but by the fact that Liam doesn't even know the film's titles, and I do, which suggests that I am kind of leading the charge on the next week's episodes, next week's episode. Although, I've never seen Dread, even though I haven't had it on Blu-ray for the last, I don't know, 10 years or something. I don't know how long, but I've never seen it. But I've seen The Raid, um, and I'm excited to see what Liam thinks. Yeah, because two films I've never seen, so I'm looking forward to it. But I think just of the three we've done so far, I think this one was the one I was anticipating the most, because I really didn't, I had no clue what way it was going to go. Yeah. In terms of how it goes. It's it's fun fun when you're not sure where it's going to go. Um, But yeah, so until next week, until next Friday... I'm Eamon. I'm Liam. And we'll leave it. We'll leave it there so. We'll leave it there so. Bye.